What's up, everybody? Welcome back. I am super excited about this episode. Today's guest is author and speaker Luke Sullivan. If that name sounds familiar, that's because he's a very important figure in the advertising industry with over 32 years in the business at elite agencies like Fallon, the Martin Agency, and GSDM. Mr. Sullivan also spent 11 years as the chair of the advertising department at the Savannah College of Art and Design, better known as SCAD. He's the author of the very popular book, Hey Whipple Squeeze This, A Guide to Creating Great Advertising, and the blog, heywhipple.com. We are all in for a treat in this conversation, so sit back, relax, and enjoy. It is an honor to get a chance to speak with today's guest. Full disclosure, I was actually on a hiatus from recording new episodes, and I had no plans on recording anything anytime soon, just for the sake of focusing on my nine to five right now, my career. But, you know, when certain opportunities come knocking, you answer. So welcome to the show, Mr. Luke Sullivan. Could you please <laughs> could you please start by giving the listeners a brief self-introduction? Brief self-introduction. Um, this is a good, we'll start with a lesson right away. Yes. Students have trouble doing precisely what you just asked me to do. They get into uh, any kind of networking situation or even to an interview. When it comes time for people to talk about themselves, most of us have been correctly or incorrectly trained to to either pretend to be or be no good at it. (laughs) No good at at being able to talk about who you are, what you bring to the party. So we'll start (laughs) with your question as a lesson. when somebody asks you in an interview, tell us tell, tell us about yourself. Don't don't uh, don't half-ass it. Proudly say who and what you are and what you bring to the party. So, everybody, my name is Luke Sullivan. I was in the advertising industry for about thirty-three years at uh, uh, pretty A or A plus agencies, uh, Fallon Worldwide, um, GSDM, uh, and the Martin Agency. Uh, I was a writer almost. All- all my time in the business, and then, uh, oh no, I guess the last 10 years I was a creative director. Um, uh, so it's 33 years in the business, and then I retired from the business to teach uh, advertising at, um, at, at, at an art school here in Georgia. Um, uh, back in 1998, when I was at Fallon, I was thinking, well, there's just not any really good books on advertising. I'm a book lover and book reader. Um, and there's just there weren't there weren't really any at the time. Um, I'm not crazy about Ogilvy on advertising. I think it's a fairly old, old, dusty old volume full of mostly old rules written by what feels like your grandfather. It didn't speak to me in any case. And so I decided back then, uh, with no contract in hand, just to take a whack at writing what I would think would be a good introduction to the business. And so that first uh, issue of uh, edition came out in 1998. And it was a success. Um, I'm not like rich on, on selling books or anything. Uh, the publisher himself told me uh, nobody gets rich on publish, publishing except maybe uh, John Grisham's of the world and the Jackie Steele's or whatever her name is. Um, uh, um, but it's been successful enough that about every four years, the publisher says, well, maybe you want to refresh this thing because it's selling decently. And so I've been doing that for now, going on, I think, about 24 years now. And the new edition is coming out this February 23rd, the sixth edition. So anyway, I what I bring to the party is this. I bring um, real world experience uh, 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 for years and years 
working at really good advertising agencies, working very hard at them. And I translate this experience, what I hope is a very, inf very informal, uh, conversational way in the pages of a book, so that if you discover it, you will, I think, have, have, your, have a very good introduction uh, to what it is people do in advertising, what art directors do, and strategists do, and copywriters do, and how agencies work. And then ultimately, the biggest thing is to show how cool this industry is and how, 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 how rewarding it is to come up with ideas. Uh, sometimes, yeah, you're selling Slim Jims, but also you, using the technology and the, and the conceptual you know, firepower you learn in advertising, you can come up with great ideas that help improve people's lives and improve the world. So I, I'm, I'm sold on it. A lot of people are embarrassed to say they're in advertising. It's probably because they work at a piece of shit agency. Uh, uh, and they just think, uh, but uh, for the most of us who really love this business, they know uh, why it's great. Yeah. So this is the, I know this is the sixth edition coming out on February 23rd. You know, what editions were added to this version that maybe were not in the fifth or any previous versions? Well, every version, I, I just, I, I take what's there and improve it. So number one, as a writer, all good writing is rewriting. So I'm rewrite, I've rewritten this thing so many times now, it's, it's crazy. Uh, and as, as the chapters go, the, if you were to pick up the fifth one you just showed me there, uh, and and the sixth, the, the, the sixth one, the first couple of chapters, you'd recognize some of the writing. And that's because some of the early lessons to a, you know, a freshman studying advertising are and should be repeated. It's, it's, it's you know, basic concepting techniques uh, are, are basic, it's basically blocking and tackling and how to sit down and think about a business problem and solve it in a memorable and interesting way, interesting enough for people to share it online, et cetera. So the first chapters uh, 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 have been rewritten and they've been refreshed with new examples from the, you know, the last three, four years of advertising. But then I added uh, several uh, added several new uh, chapters, and then I vastly expanded, for instance, the chapter in copywriting. Uh, the new chapter in copywriting is so much better. Uh, there's new chapters on the technological side of the business, particularly on what is called creative technology. And this is where people who you can get hired at an ad agency, but be called, be called a creative technologist. And these are just people who know how to, to use, to bend the uh, emerging technology, emerging media and embed it or, or entwine it into a marketing program. Uh, I added a whole chapter on branded content, which is, which is really where a lot of advertising is going nowadays. Uh, and it's fascinating because generally branded content is way better than advertising. And you'll see why in that chapter. And then um, I, I, I threw in a chapter about advanced concepting techniques that, uh, that I've been studying since I wrote the first edition. And then the last chapter is a vastly uh, rewritten, expanded chapter on how to put together your portfolio in terms of its UX, in terms of its look, uh, how to uh, network, how to create a job search strategy, uh, how, to, how to interview, how to talk about money, uh, right up to uh, getting, getting the job. So uh, uh, the publisher requires a certain percentage of the book to be new in order to even say this is a new edition. And I went way past what they asked for. And this is, uh, 
is a really a new edition, and it is the best one of all six. Did you have any idea when you originally wrote that first version in 1998 that here in 2022 you'd be releasing a sixth edition? Did you know that this book would go on not, and live not, the life that it's lived so far? Not in a million years. I didn't have a book contract, but I just did my research. I went to Barnes & Noble, and I got, uh, I don't know, six, seven books I bought on writing a book proposal and researching for book publishing, you know, just, just the usual sort of due diligence. Okay, well, how do you do this? And I read them all and I took, the, uh, I took what seemed to be the common uh, denominator of advice and, and, and did just what they said. And that, that involved writing a lot of letters to a lot of different publishers. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but just like a career search for a, a copywriter or an art director, you write those letters to places that look like they're producing the kind of books that y- y- you would consider your book to be, you know, brother and sister to. Uh, it's, 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 uh, it, it, what it is, is a process. And so, yeah, I just, I just set off in this process. And I, I remember, I think I, my first batch uh, was 26 uh, emails, uh, 26 emails with the complete manuscript sent to me. 26 different publishers. They say that's not the way to do that with books. You should send it out one at a time and hope you get somebody to bite on it. But I was impatient for that. Uh, I didn't want to wait around. And I'm glad I didn't because I was still getting rejection letters a year and a half later after I had the book in my hands from publishers who were passing on it. Uh, The deal is, though, uh, even if you get a book published, it doesn't mean it's any damn good because I just think there are a lot of crappy books out there. You and I both know that. uh, and that's why I wrote this book. I didn't see any out there that talked to students the way I would want to be talked to if I was a student. In any case, you asked me, did I see this coming? Not in a million years. Um, I have, over the years, received thousands of emails, thousands of emails uh, from people saying, thanks for writing this book. It got me into advertising or maybe changed my major. Or uh, uh, I, get, uh, I get most of that from juniors, but I get occasional um, seniors and, you know, kind of uh, advanced advertising people saying, uh, thanks, this is the book I hand out to uh, all my you know, new hires, et cetera, et cetera. So it's had a good long life. I don't plan on writing another one. Um, uh, um, uh, it's the old, it's too early to say I'm going into retirement, but I think I am. I'm done, done teaching now too. Uh, and it's had a great run. And I wanted this last edition to be just the best. And so it took me a, a year, year and a half to, to rewrite this bad boy, uh, to add all the new work, to do the research for all the new chapters, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm very proud of it. Yeah. Yeah. I, thank you so much for writing it. Like this is one of those books that I was, like you said, I was, as an intern, I was um, given this by someone that I looked at as sort of a mentor. And they were like, before you, you know, before you, you go any further, you should definitely sit down and read this. And I like sat down and read it within a week and it kind of changed my perspective and gave me a lot of insights into Great the deal. industry. Yeah. Um, so I, I do want to ask an important question for myself personally. Well, not for myself. While you're, asking, while you're asking that, I'm going to close the door so my dog barking won't bother our audience. No problem. The first time it was recommended to me, the thing that really caught my attention and really made me want to read it was the title. I was like, what does that mean? And I, I know you explain in the book what Hey Whipple Squeeze This means. But for those that are unfamiliar and have not picked up the book, how would you explain that? Well, that's an interesting uh, question, Justin, because it comes up every time I sit with the publisher and talk about the next edition. Uh, and they, too, uh, wonder, well, what, why the hell do we have this title? Uh, nobody knows who Whipple was. Um, 
And there's a reason why nobody knows, because it was a, based on a very, very, very poor, bad, insulting, crappy TV campaign that ran back in the 60s when I was a kid for Charmin toilet paper. And even as a seventh grader, I found that the, the, their opinion of the average intelligence of the average viewer to be insulting. It was just so bad. Um, and I used that to kick off the whole book. Why is it that a campaign this bad ever ran? Why is it that a campaign this bad ever, ever ran for 25 years is how long it ran? And how is it that a campaign this bad was that effective? They ended up beating out Scott toilet, Scott tissue toilet paper, uh, uh, the number one spot. And what does that say about advertising? Why should we care to try to do anything good, to think up any good ideas? when clearly something this execrable could, could, could succeed. And the fact of the matter is, uh, I'll, I'll answer it with the headline uh, that, was, that my old boss, my first boss, Tom McGilligan, used to open his own agency and says, uh, the advertising agency for clients that would rather outsmart the competition than outspend them. Uh, Sherman toilet, Sherman's terrible campaign worked because they spent a trillion, I don't know how much, but it seemed like a trillion dollars. Over 25 years, they spent millions of dollars pounding that horrible campaign into our head. Uh, and then along came Doyle Dane Bernbach in, this, in, the, in the late 50s. Uh, and they had a different idea about advertising where they would not uh, assume you're a complete idiot where they would not take their clients' uh, uh, entire budget to pound home horrible uh, campaigns uh, to, to make them effective. They would, do, they would spend less money on more effective, more powerful work uh, and achieve uh, the same and much better uh, uh, results for it. So it was the publisher and I both agree though, that there's equity in this title. It's just, you know, hey, Whipple's a very unique title. And we don't throw it out for that reason. And generally, anybody who picks it up and reads the first three pages gets the title. Mm -hmm. um, but it is, it's kind of a hard sell, especially when you're in a you're meeting with a publisher who's, you know, bankrolling a lot of money on whether this book will sell or not. So kudos, you know, kudos to my wonderful editor, Richard Naramore at Wiley, at Wiley and Sons up in New Jersey. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So one thing that I've picked up on in doing this podcast and just talking to my, my coworkers is that like, no one ever sets out to be in advertising, like from a kid, it's never a career goal. So I kind of want to rewind and talk about your story a little bit. If we can take it back to like the beginning of your career. I know you studied psychology in college before ultimately beginning your journey as a copywriter. Um, you know, what was it about writing copy and, and the advertising industry that, that really caught your attention? Well, it's, it's a, it's a, you're, you're right about that. A lot of people take a long and windy road to end up in advertising. They don't come in through the front door. They come in through the side door, down through the chimney. They kind of stumble backwards into this business. They find it. Uh, they discover it. Um, I, uh, I grew up uh, uh, in a, uh, uh, one of six sons living in a, a big house uh, in Rochester, Minnesota, wealthy lifestyle. My dad was a doctor at the Mayo Clinic. And uh, because I was just a shallow son of a bitch, I said, I want to be have money like this too. So I went into pre-med right away. What a fool. Anyway, I was quickly disabused of the notion because I got uh, my very, very first score in my college transcript is an F in chemistry. An F in chemistry. I said, wow, I can't do this. And so I stripped gears trying to take a hard left. 
And uh, I, I just picked up psychology because I thought it interested me, people interested me. Uh, but once I graduated with a BA in psychology, it was very much, you know, just a, there was no jobs for me, none whatsoever. So I, right out of college, I spent about know, four years working as an unskilled laborer on construction crews, uh, reha rehabbing uh, old brownstones in downtown Minneapolis. Um, uh, and you yourself said you sometimes felt like you got a late start in this business. It, it, you could say, yeah, four years out of college and I discovered this business or whatever. It's, there's no late start. It's when you find what you love to do, it don't matter. And so... I, uh, I, um, I, I discovered uh, that I could still do some writing by working on this community newspaper. So I was working in this community newspaper and part of that job was to sell ads to the local businesses to keep the paper going. And then I would put together these ads and I thought, this is kind of fun. And so I kept going with that. And then I, I took another job finally for more money and I was just a typesetter in the advertising department of a large department store in downtown Minneapolis. Uh, and it was while I was at that job where I first discovered a, my first copy of the local uh, award annuals, you know, the Addies, A-D-D-Y-S, has a, has an award show for pretty much every, you know, big city in America. And they have these competitions. And I found the work of Tom McGilligan and Ron Anderson, then at Bozell and Jacobs, and I just, it just blew me away. Here was, here was work that was so far from Mr. Whipple, you couldn't, it's just, it was amazing. It was intelligent. It, 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 it talked up to me. It assumed that I had a brain and it engaged me. Uh, sometimes it was funny. Sometimes it was serious. Sometimes it was shocking, but it was always intelligent. And uh, so I set my sights on this agency where Tom McGilligan and Ron Anderson worked. And just, you know, by persistence and just being a, a stubborn knucklehead, I finally got an interview with Tom McGilligan and, uh, and I have never looked back since. It's interesting how you talk about you went on to work on a construction site and you were pre-med. Do you think like those experiences made you a better copywriter? And I ask that because, like you said, before we, we jumped into the conversation, I kind of talked about my story, how I felt like I was late coming into the industry. But it turns out to me, I'm actually not behind. I feel like the experience that I've gotten in the real world prior to getting into advertising help me as a strategist in this industry, see a lot of different perspectives. So is that kind of how you oh, feel? Absolutely. It helps as well? absolutely. And as I taught college for these last 10 years, advertising, um, you know, come spring, um, uh, kids would be uh, having their portfolio out there. And a lot of them would be getting interviews, uh, some getting uh, jobs, some getting internships, and uh, many of them not. And the ones who weren't getting snapped up uh, would become quickly depressed thinking that, wow, here, I just blew four years in my career on something that, and nobody's answering my phone calls. Uh, first thing I tell them, number one is, is don't freak out. There's no bus leaving from the student center that has jobs written in that, you know, that front window. Jobs, we're all leaving, get on the bus. What, you missed the bus? Um, uh, it, it, it's jobs, jobs open and close very quickly in this business. Uh, and so you sometimes have to knock at the same door weeks apart from the, from the same door knock uh, and get a completely different answer. Sometimes a different person will answer the door. They'll hire a new recruiter or they will have uh, uh, won a major new piece of business and they will have open jobs that they didn't have when last you called. So I, I told most of my kids, be ready for a year. 
you know, everybody says, take a gap year. Well, guess what? Your gap year may be handed to you. You don't know, and it doesn't matter. If you love this business, if you love this business, it will show. And if you love this business and you're not getting uh, answers, I mean, you're not just getting in after a year, well then, as I say in the book, it's time to take a hard look again at your portfolio, listen to what the people who are interviewing you are telling you and improve the portfolio. It's just, I, I, I know you're a basketball fan. <laughs> I guess we talked earlier and uh, uh, Kobe Bryant is a sort of a hero of mine. And um, uh, he hired me to work for an agency he owned out in LA. And I went out there and got to meet him and, uh, and just, just blown away by the, by the competitive, uh, uh, the competitive uh, uh, need to dominate and be the best in the business that, this, that just exuded from every one of his pores. And um, eventually when I, uh, he called me when I was actually teaching here in Savannah, and said, would you care to come out? And, um, and yes, sir. And I'm not even a basketball fan. I'm just, you know, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm wowed by his star power and all the stuff he did with Nike. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I, I go out there and I'm impressed to see how involved in the business he is and how, how, how smart he is about advertising, everything really. And um, after he died, jeez, uh, that just rocked my world. I didn't know him really well, but I was so moved by him and his charisma and his presence and his drive that I eventually, at least for a year, I assigned everybody to watch Kobe's Muse that uh, I think it's, I think it won an Oscar, Uh, Kobe's Muse, which is a fantastic movie about how to excel at anything. So you can watch Kobe's Muse and become a better writer or art director or strategist by studying what commitment really looks like, what trying hard really looks like. I mean, he knew what LA looked like at 4.30 in the morning because he was at Staples at 4.30 every morning running drills. Mm-hmm. So oh, so the point is, is that uh, as spring comes uh, and you don't get jobs snapped up, don't freak out. Play, mm-hmm. the, long, play the long game. Keep your focus. Uh, it, does your does your technique to be need to be improved? Will it get up at four thirty in the morning the same way and improve your portfolio the same way Kobe did everything, and you will be unstoppable. When you watch that show, and you look in the eyes of that incredible athlete, and then apply these things to yourself, you're fucking you're, you're going to dominate. Mm-hmm. You're going to dominate even if you start with a small bit of talent. But really, I often used to tell my students. Uh, X is the size of your talent. I'll draw a little X on the board. Let's say your X is, uh, it's not as big as this other guy's X over here. But now if you multiply this little talent towards Y, which is your work ethic, and if the Y fills the whole wall, you're going to win. Mm-hmm. As long as you have talent, you, you just beat everybody with hard work and you're going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Yes, I agree. I agree. Kobe Bryant is a huge inspiration. And for people, I know you guys can't see what's behind me, but I actually have Laker memorabilia all around my room. So when I did see that Kobe photo and, and now to hear the story behind it, it it's uh, and, and yeah. how, how it, it, it has affected you. It's, you know, I'm, I'm not surprised and uh, I'm very inspired by him. And I do encourage everyone, like you said, to watch Kobe's news because it's amazing learning about the Mamba mentality and his approach to things. And I personally think about that all the time with everything that I do. So and you yeah. don't have to like basketball. You don't have to like basketball to love that movie. Exactly. Exactly. It, it, it is about 
the almost the spiritual mindset one has to have, have to excel at anything. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So my my personal entry into advertising, or at least my foot in the door came with an, an internship that I got at a, a an agency in LA uh, a few years ago. Um, I was one of about 30 summer interns in this program. And one thing that, that I took notice to was that um, all of the interns that I met from SCAD, which is, uh, where, of course, where you taught for many years and you recently retired from, um, all of the people that I met from SCAD that were in the internship program were like very well prepared for agency life. And most went on to either get offered the permanent role that they were interning in or now uh, looking at their LinkedIn's, they've gone on to, to see like a lot of success in their careers. So my question to you um, is, wh- what do you think it is about that SCAD program, the advertising program that kind of breeds so many talented individuals? Well, it's going to always come down to the professors. So you could say the same thing about any college. Any college, as long as they've got good professors and the uh, academic, the uh, what do you call it, the, the people who run the college, stay out of the way. And if the professors are, are, are allowed to teach the best of their ability, you'll be fine. I, I need to say about SCAD, um, I love the 10 years I worked there because I loved my students. I, they, and they knew it to a person, how much I loved them and how much I cared about them. And um, then the, uh, then the, uh, uh, the, uh, the damn uh, COVID thing came, and like every everywhere, most this college, you know, closed up and went virtual, which is cool. It's the right thing to do. But then, as time went on, about a year and a half into it, they decided they didn't like the optics. This is me guessing that they didn't like how it looked that you know, students would come from another country and then get there to have to be in front of a virtual class. I get it, but their solution was just to force then some of the professors back into the class to teach. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they tried to force me back into class to teach. And uh, this is a, during a time when, you know, the Georgia map was just glowing red on the, on the COVID maps of the United States. And I said, no. And they tried to force me. And I said, no. And they said, well, if you don't, we're going to force you to retire, which they did. And then they, uh, they called it breach of contract, whatever, then caring for my health and my wife's health. Um, and then they fined me $5,000. So I haven't got a single good thing to say about SCAD. But I do have a lot of good things to say about my fellow professors there uh, and the program that was taught then. Um, uh, they fired other good people since then. It's just, I don't, the thing is, I can't say a single good thing about them. I can say a good thing about any, any college. And there are other good colleges. And I list them in the final chapter. Hey, Whipple, good places to go to study this stuff. Uh, what a good program will teach you more than anything and it ain't theory, and it ain't history, and it ain't, ain't academic bullshit. It's how to come up with an idea, how to make something, uh, and make stuff that's fascinating, make stuff that's interesting. A good program will promise you, or should promise you, that at the end of the program, you will have a great portfolio. It has to be portfolio-centric. Otherwise, it's just more liberal arts bullshit. Um, there are some good, uh, uh, you know, I would imagine there's some places that aren't even colleges that are just what you would call a portfolio school. They don't offer degrees, but if you know you want advertising and uh, uh, it costs less than college, uh, um, and it's usually a two-year program, places like uh, the Creative Circus in Atlanta, and, uh, uh, well, just there's a, there's a number of them, um, Miami Ad School. And you go there and you basically you can stay as long as you want until you have a kick-ass portfolio. You don't have to stay the full two years or pay the full two years. But 
go somewhere where, here's another way to do it. Go and look at the student portfolios of, of any school you're thinking about. And if you're not impressed, well, then they're not doing a very good job. Yeah. And in my few years so far into this industry, um, I've seen a lot of people quickly burn themselves out, especially like creatives, um, you know, quickly burn themselves out and then like switch industries entirely or go on a sabbatical or something. And I'm wondering, like for you having such a long career in this industry, like how did you manage to stay passionate and engaged in the work for so long? Well, there's, there's a couple of ways to answer that. That's the, uh, the TMI, overly honest answer is, is that I did burn out. I was, uh, and to this day, I was an alcoholic and addict. I'm recovering now, but at the time, I, I, I didn't think that was possible. And I did burn out. Uh, uh, and, and I had to solve that problem first. Unfortunately, it was fairly early on in my career. Once I got sober, my career really took off. I was able to uncover my talent instead of smother it with um, drugs and booze. Um, uh, Here's, a, here's another way to answer that question. My brother Kip, oldest brother of the six of us, went to Pomona, which is a very good school out there your way, and then to Harvard as a lawyer, right? Mm-hmm. So he graduates uh, from Harvard with a law degree, and you know you can just hang out your shingle tomorrow and make a minimum of you know a quarter of a half a million dollars, just minimum. And uh, he has never made more than you know uh, I don't know fifty thousand dollars in his whole career a year because he focuses on helping people who need law uh, lawyers, but you know, can't afford them. So he's, he's worked for many uh, causes, uh, you know, uh, generally uh, like, you know, uh, farmers fighting the local power company who wants to uh, buy all their farmland and build, uh, build power lines through it. Uh, he's given his talents to that. And when he would come home, we were living together at the time, and he'd tell me the stories that he'd hear about these these assholes that he was fighting in court, these just these big, ugly corporations that just had no shame at all. And I say, jumping, Jiminy Kip, how do you, how do you not just get boil over? How do you not have rage against the, this, the, the, the evil and stupidity of, of the machine? And he says, yes, you do need to have anger. He says, I keep it at a slow boil. So if you have, if you go to a high boil too fast, which is what I did automatically, if you're unable to really, to really calibrate the, the, the flame under yourself, you can indeed burn out too fast. You can try too hard or it can matter too much. And then when you have a failure or a couple of, a string of failures in a row, it matters too much. And you can, you can, oh, this isn't the place for me. This isn't the industry for me. I say keeping at a low boil, keep your passion there. Don't take any win too, uh, too, too seriously. Don't take any loss too seriously. Keep your eye on what attracted you to this business in the first place. Keep your eye on the things that first inspired you, that made you think, God, I want to do that. God, that is so cool. Keep your eye on that stuff. Keep following the really good work that's happening all the time out there in this industry. And let that inspire you. You may be in a bad place that is just full of people who aren't and they're really in the same business as you are, but they don't have the same values as you do. Well, yeah, you may have to get out of that place eventually in order to, in order to not burn out. But if you, if you keep yourself at a low boil and you're focused on, on the good fight, you'll be okay. Yeah, so good. So good. I, I'm really curious about your answer to this because this is something that I struggle with as I was trying to get a foot into the industry. And it's something that when I sit down with students now, they always ask me about and it's, um, you know, the whole big agencies versus little shops, like, oh, yeah, what would you say are the pros and cons 
um, of each? And like, what do you recommend to students? Are your students, what did you, you know, recommend as to what path to begin their career on? I didn't tell them one or the other because it's to each his own. Mm -hmm. They both have their charms. They both have their charms. I never worked at a behemoth like, you know, Ogilvy in New York or BBD, you know. Uh, Largest agency I ever worked at was uh, GSD&M in Austin, Texas. They had about 500 people. So that's not even considered a large agency, but it is large by many people's standards. Uh, But large is... BBT, you know, in New York, where I think, you know, the creative department is probably five or six floors deep in there on the skyscraper they own. Uh, what you get there by going to BBTO, number one, is what, by just applying there, you have a better shot at getting in because they have more seats opening. They have more job openings. So that's a good thing. Uh, they have more nationally known clients. Uh, you take a job at some small agency, you know, in, in Kentucky, and you may be working on a lot of, you know, really nice clients that are paying the bills, but nobody's heard of them before. Uh, at a large agency, you generally are working on larger budgets so that when you do sell an idea, you have the money to produce it well or to take the great photograph or shoot uh, with a good director. Uh, that's the cool stuff. Um, uh, about big agencies. It's, it's, you know, very much the bigs. And so when you have a home run at uh, BBD&O, you know, it's a can, uh, it's, it's all over the award books and it's just, you know, pretty well known. But I didn't ever work at BBD&O. Um, uh, I just worked at smaller agencies and yet I managed to get work that was, you know, into, into the global award shows uh, just from these smaller shops. Uh, the smallest shop I worked at was was no longer small now. It's the Martin Agency. But back in 1984, when I joined it, it was very small. There were 12 people in the creative department. And I loved it. I, I, it was such a familial uh, uh, agency. Everybody knew everybody. You know, we'd go get drinks with the president, uh, 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 the president would say, we're going down to this client, hop on the company jet, and we're going down. It was just, you knew everybody. Uh, and you had a chance to work on pretty much all the clients in the shop because they didn't have a huge creative department and everybody did everything. So they each have their charms very clearly also living as I did in a smaller town. It's, you know, not the heart attack that it is to live in New York City or L.A. Um, uh, so it it's, there's not one or one is better than the other. It's really, what are your priorities? And so I tell the students as they sit down to consider where are they going to work? And as I talk about it in my book about making a career search strategy, it starts with a bit of a self-inventory. Where do you, where do you want to work? You know, do you have a preference? Do you want to stay on the East Coast, West Coast? Maybe you don't have any money and you need to, to live in mom's basement for a while. That's absolutely, that's, let that inform your, your beginning of your job search. Figure out then uh, a list of the agencies that you think are doing work that is great. And I tell how to find those agencies uh, in the book. Uh, and you then arrange this. Uh, I say make a list of 100 agencies because you could be writing to 100 agencies before you get an answer of yes. Uh, and you organize this list in a very smart way. Here's all my favorites. Here's the ones that I, I'd be glad to get a job at no matter what. And then even at the bottom, well, I've got to get a job. Those are those agencies down there. And you, you just work through this list like a dog. Um, uh, and uh, it, eventually it, it will happen. But it is, like I said earlier, a process. A yeah. process that involves a little bit of a mamba spirit in order to win. Yeah, yeah. So historically, it's been very rare to find 
diversity within creative departments at ad agencies. It's and it's, it's, yeah. And it, I mean, it's, it's even more rare to find like BIPOC people in, in, in the C-suite or executive leadership roles within agencies. Um, as a person that has been involved in the industry for so long and has had their eyes on it and studied for so long, you know, I'm wondering if you have any insights or theories as to why that is. And also, you know, what can be done to diversify these roles more moving forward? Well, I mean, part of it is just white privilege. Right. It's a simple fact of the matter. White privilege is, is kids, more white kids go to college, period. Uh, so let's, let's say fuck the man and we'll, we'll, take it, we'll take it just in a, an existential, I want this thing, what's keeping me from getting it? Um, there is a, 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 um, an embarrassing lack of diversity in um, the American advertising industry. And the reason why I say embarrassing is that you, what you will find once you get into most any agency in America is that it's a fairly liberal, um, likely democratic, uh, and certainly progressive work environment. It's just not an insurance agency. It ain't a bank. It's just, it's just a bunch of loosey-goosey creative knuckleheads trying their best to make things that are interesting uh, to help solve creative problems for, for clients, for brands. Um, uh, and with all that, though, uh, you know, I think, well, I don't know what the, what the numbers of African-Americans and black, Blacks in America are uh, for sheer numbers, but I'm just going to throw out 15% of America uh, 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 of American citizens are Black. And I don't think 15% show up in the agency world. It's just nowhere near it. And certainly not in the creative department. Uh, I, I just don't think it's being taught as a possibility in schools, secondary education uh, uh, included that you can be creative and you can make money. I think part of it, part of it is that there's sort of an embarrassment about creativity as a way to make money. I mean, I would ask my kids in my class, how many, how many of you here, and this is at a kind of an elite art school here in Savannah, Georgia, where we have actually great diversity. Um, how many kids, how many uh, do you, your parents didn't want you to go to this school? And half, half to two thirds would raise their hands uh, because the parents don't see a possibility in creativity as a way to make money. You got to do what your brother did. He worked at the donut shop and he put in his hours and now he owns three of them. You know, uh, that, that's kind of America's answer to everything is just pull yourself up by your bootstraps, which is just old, old school Republican thinking, free market, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Um, I'm, I'm, ran, I'm raving here a little bit. Let me pull my, let me focus myself again. Why aren't there? Well, I don't think enough kids are applying to, to uh, schools that teach you how to make an advertising portfolio. Hmm. Whether it's their parents telling them not to do it, they don't have the money to do it, uh, um, are there are, are good reasons not to, but they shouldn't stop you. They shouldn't also stop you to go to, you don't have to go to college to learn how to put together a great portfolio. That's partly why I wrote my own book. Uh, but as I say in the back of the book, if you can afford to go to an ad school, go. Now, ad schools can be regular colleges, you know, four-year degrees, but you can also go to places, like I mentioned earlier, uh, Art Center uh, uh, in, in San Francisco. Well, that's actually a college. But you can go to portfolio schools like um like um, the Creative Circus or Miami Ad School. They're two-year programs where it costs much less than, and you don't wait around for a degree. You're just building a portfolio. And once you get to a great portfolio, you cut loose and start. Uh, so I would recommend that route too for people who don't think they can afford college. 
Um, also embarrassing, I mean, 15% uh, of agencies should be black, and that includes management positions, and it's just very small, with a, one exception that comes to mind is the uh, chief creative officer at the Martin Agency, my old agency in Richmond, Danny Rob from Danny Robinson. He's uh, a black dude, and uh, that's inspiring. I hope other, other kids uh, see what he's made of himself and what a leader he is there at one of the very, very, very best agencies in the world. Uh, but also, 50% of the damn agencies uh, should be uh, uh, full of women, and likewise, the management. And there's just very, very few uh, agencies that are owned by women. I'm thinking of one in LA, Zambezi, which is where I worked uh, with uh, Kobe on. Um, in, uh, uh, um, it's, it's just for as liberal uh, uh, industries we work in, we're terrible at it. We're terrible at it. And uh, there are leaders uh, who are trying to push for this. I, one of them is the owner the, the, uh, the CEO of the Martin Agency, Kristen Cavallo, who just makes it her point. I mean, she makes it a reason for running that place and her drive for diversity in the Martin Agency is incredible. It's incredible. And, and they're showing the numbers for it. Most big agencies uh, hire for diversity mostly because they have to. The reason they have to is that their clients have to and the clients' contracts generally say that people working on our teams must be you know, such and such percentage of diversity. That's a good thing. Um, but it's never as good when you're forced to do something as when you seize the petard yourself and drive it yourself as Kristen Cavallo is doing at the Martin Agency. It's going to take more people like her and uh, Jean Freeman at Zambezi uh, in L.A., to, to pound the drums, to push for this. Change doesn't happen until it has to happen. Power is never ceded willingly. It's generally taken away from. And so uh, it's gonna take heroes like the, those two women and other people to just push, push, push. But as on a person by person basis, I say to every black kid in the world, every Hispanic kid in the world who thinks advertising is interesting to them and they see things on TV or online that make them go, wow, think I could do that. You can do it. It's a matter of how mama do you want to get on it to find a way to put together a portfolio that impresses somebody. And you, all you have to do is impress one person enough and boom, your career starts. Love it. I love it. Uh, Mr. Sullivan, thank you so much for, for taking the time to sit down with me. Before we go, I just have one more question. Um, for anyone interested in purchasing this new sixth edition of Hey Whipple Squeeze This, where can people find the book? Well, thanks for the opportunity for me to hype my own book. Uh, it, it, uh, it came out last week, uh, 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 and you can get it on Amazon.com. I hope that pre-order price has come down some. It's just a paperback book. It shouldn't be expensive. Um, and and I, I, can, I can probably say order the damn thing. I can say it without any false humility or even too much grandiosity uh, because of the mamba spirit I poured into this damn thing. I have been working on this thing since it first came out in 1998 and have improved it, improved it, improved it, improved it. And, uh, and it's not just all me, me, me. I've talked to the smartest damn people in the business and captured all their best stuff and captured it in this book. And so it's nice to be able to sit back and look at something you've done, it's just a project, but say, I did it as well as I possibly could have. And to that I have uh, Kobe to thank and this inspiration because 
that's the only way you can do anything that's any damn good, you know, is, is the way he did things. So thank you for that opportunity. It's available on Amazon and uh, rush out and get a copy for your mom and for your cat. And your cat probably has friends around the neighborhood. So get some for them and then maybe have four or five uh, in the closet in case there's a, a, a brownout or a blackout. You never know. The friends that come over, you need to give out copies. I'm just, I'm blue skying here. Uh, I'm just blue skying. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Again, thank you for writing this book. Honestly, like, the, like I said, this is, this has helped a lot of people, you know, understand what this advertising thing is. And this has been a huge contribution to the industry. So for me to you, just, you know, thank you. And I really appreciate it. And thank you again for sitting down and doing this. Justin, my pleasure. Thanks. What's up, everybody? Thank you for tuning into this episode. If you want to keep up with us outside of these podcasts, make sure you follow us on Instagram. That's at Academics, A-D-C-A-D-E-M-I-C-S. You can also email academicspodcast at gmail.com for any and all inquiries. Thank you. Class dismissed.